You're listening to Spice Radio's The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Margareta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. This week's topic is welcome to SimCity, what's coming with new municipal governments in Vancouver and the Metrovan region, as well as we'll talk about the latest in the UK, Europe, and Asia, and another twist in the BC NDP leadership. Margareta, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, thank you. So on Saturday, we saw a vast number of changes to BC's municipal government landscape. Tell us about those. Well, after a year of hubbub about these hotly anticipated municipal elections across the province, the results are finally here. And this past Saturday was pretty significant, with many mayors and councils being massively overhauled, uh, which I think really spoke to a broad mandate for change. And uh, everything from skyrocketing housing prices amidst the global pandemic to increasingly more concerning safety and widespread mental health challenges in urban centers really, really affected the results. And there's been a lot on the plates of city governments. It's clear the voters deemed many of the incumbents not up to the task of dealing with these challenges moving forward. Of course, one of the most closely watched races was in Vancouver. Uh, Ken Sims' ABC party absolutely swept, electing every single one of those councils, school board, and park board candidates. And, of course, Vancouver is set for a new mayor, uh, with one-term incumbent Kennedy Stewart failing to secure re-election. And although I certainly felt conflicted about the mayoral race myself at times, there were a few candidates I was really excited to vote for. Um, Lisa Dominato, you know, council candidate in particular, was one of the best performing incumbents I felt and had one of the best results. Unfortunately, Russell Long, a very strong pro-housing advocate, didn't quite make it over the line this time. But I hope uh, he and another strong uh, voices for change in the city decide to run again in the future. But what this all really means is that in Vancouver, we're now just Sims in a Sim City. And for anyone who's played any of the installments in those popular video game series, you either cultivate a real deal for city planning, a passion for house design and construction, or an extensive repertoire of new and exciting ways to off your Sims. Of course, results may vary. And let's be honest, that pun is probably going to have a lot of staying power. And... In other parts of the region, Surrey was a very interesting result. In fact, uh, despite a thousand vote lead for Brenda Locke, it might not be over yet. Doug McCallum wasn't content to just return his city loaner car with a front bumper totally foolhardy. No, no, no. He's insisting that a judicial recount needs to take place. Um, but nevertheless, Brenda's success, I expect, is particularly impressive given how many strong contenders were in the race overall, including a current MP, one past MP and MLA, uh, especially since. Those are also fellow federal liberals, like Brenda, who's been a candidate federally for liberals, of course. Um, but I could keep going and going. Uh, I'll just finish off on this one by mentioning the very strong pro-housing result in Fort Moody. Uh, the electorate there didn't just boot counselors that had notoriously defended a mayor, credibly accused of sexual assault, but they also, uh, sorry, sexual harassment, apologies, um, but they also elected uh, outspoken and bold new voices uh, to drive forward ambitions or more housing. And I'm optimistic that everyone in BC's housing market starts to see some of these supply crunch uh, issues release over time, even if it does take a while. It's very, very long overdue. Now, there's a lot going on this morning. And another thing we've been talking about is the BC NDP leadership contest. And there is another twist with contender Anjali Apadurai being removed from the race. Where does that leave the governing provincial party in BC? Well, what a race that has been. Uh, and there was a really impassioned written plea to not be ingested from the race uh, a day back. Uh, unfortunately, Anjali has received the boot. 
Uh, and you know, the weather was pretty good reading, but I didn't find it entirely credible, personally. Uh, you know, everyone who's been watching this closely could see it coming, uh, given how much of a risk she presented to the BC NDP's uh, existing power structures, um, but I'd say also their ability to stay in power in the long term. Um, I especially felt, and I know a lot of New Democrats felt this way too, that she had policies that were uniquely poorly positioned for times of economic trouble. Uh, she also expressed a desire to fundamentally alter the power structures of BC's main center-left party. Uh, and that letter that I mentioned uh, took more than a few pot shots at labor unions that uh, backed David Eby, uh, who's you know, going to be premier now, um, and that's expected. You know, so many of those unions weren't especially enamored with her approach to economic and business policy. And I can sum that up in brief. Uh, shut it all down. Uh, you know, if it makes money, it's probably bad. Uh, or at least I have to imagine that's the logic, because an environmentally driven analysis of where BC's economy should go certainly doesn't yield the same conclusions for me. You know, for instance, rather than leading with just stop oil and gas, uh, she couched her position in language that appeared to make her seem more reasonable. Uh, saying you know, she would freeze permits for new production of natural gas. Uh, seems, seems reasonable, right? Uh, but as anyone who understands the issues knows, uh, no new permits means no new wells being drilled. And natural gas production actually relies on new wells being constantly brought online uh, since productivity rapidly declines as soon as you uh, start producing from that one well every you know, three years, essentially, uh, on average. But, with uh, if we did have existing production drying up, as Angelina would have done if she became premier, um, BC over a period of years would effectively leave billions, tens of billions of existing necessary infrastructure completely redundant in a time where the world's demand for these products has never been more acute, and our allies have never needed Canada to come through more. Uh, but as for the BC NDP, they have a real task ahead. They have to rebuild. They have to repair. New Premier EB is going to come in at a time that the parties seriously challenged by these internal fractures. And I believe this may yield some blowback at the next party convention, the next time there's a leadership contest, but more likely in the next general. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a really emboldened BC Green Party in the next two years, or if Angeli decided to run for them, frankly. Mm-hmm. Anything is possible. Now, across the pond, the typical dysfunction in UK politics continues. Prime Minister Liz Truss has resigned today. Last week, there was even a live stream in classic British style trying to assess which would survive longer, a non-refrigerated head of lettuce or Prime Minister Liz Truss. She's gone now. But how's the lettuce doing? <laughs> well, the lettuce was uh, snapped by paparazzi earlier, celebrating its victory in style. Uh, decked out in a pitching blonde wig and lit up by a disco ball. And rumor has it that it might even escape being diced up for a nice salad, like its brethren. But I guess that's British humor for you, taking the mick out of a situation where your country is facing the most bonkers political uncertainty in decades, just as Europe faces real rough waters. Um, And, you know, there's infants today, born months ago, that have known uh, four chancellors of the Exchequer, two prime ministers, and two monarchs. Um, it's frankly absurd. And as if things weren't exciting enough, Boris Johnson, uh, former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, is really interested in running again for the good of the nation. I never thought I'd find myself agreeing uh, with Boris, but I have a point here. Some stability is necessary right now, and the man does appear to be glued to the halls of power, despite his many tumbles over the years, more firmly than any just stop oil protester has managed to glue themselves to a road, a wall, or a gas pump. 
I can't wait to see what is going to go on there. But finally, one last story. The Turkish government has announced its plan to build a gas hub in partnership with Russia. Isn't Turkey a member of NATO? What gives? I can admit that I've been scratching my head over this one, too. And I know I mentioned in the past that Russia is under major sanctions. The war in Ukraine has disrupted energy uh, pipelines uh, that cross through the conflict zone. But Russian oil and gas hasn't stopped making its way to Europe entirely. A lot of it's actually moving to the south, including Turkey. And there has been some positive signs that the European energy crisis isn't as dire as some people have predicted, or it might not be, uh, with the natural gas stockpile growing, but it's still not good. And I honestly can't say uh, definitively whether it's going to be enough to keep all Europeans warm, fed, and fueled this winter. I've been visiting family in Hungary this week, and that's certainly already being felt here, with many people massively limiting driving, indoor heating, and even hot baths or laundry. Uh, And yes. While Turkey is a NATO member, like any country, it looks out for its own interests. And preventing a total collapse in relations with Russia is clearly a priority for its economy and its security. And just look at Turkey's continued block in NATO membership for Sweden and Finland. Hungary, likewise, is taking a similar approach, uh, maybe even more complicated by the fact that it's also a member of the EU. Uh, but really what this whole saga reminds me of is that the reality of war, conflict, global affairs, it's not what you say uh, that matters, that determine your true values. It's actually how you choose to act. And, you know, supporting Ukraine has been a critical move for all democracies feeling the crunch in a rapidly deglobalizing world. Uh, you know, sort of signaling the need for climate change in a world that's beginning to feel its effects. Um, but the reality, the facts on the ground, the material conditions that enable our survival in a hostile world ultimately make the decisions for us. They show us what our values really are. And if we're smart, we align our policy priorities, our desire for compassionate, effective, progressive, bold policies, uh, no matter how ambitious they are, to the realities that we cannot escape. And this is a lesson that I think many governments, including uh, ones in Canada and across the world, really need to learn. Margaret, thank you so much for covering all those important stories. We really appreciate it. You take care. You too. Have a good one.